How do you feel about waiting? Don't you enjoy a nice long wait? I, I like to think I'm a patient person because of my age and just my temperament, but I, I really don't like to wait. I don't like standing in line at the post office waiting to get stamps. Amen. Don't like to wait at the bank, even the drive-in. I don't like being at a stoplight when the light turns green and the driver in front of me is accelerator challenged. <laughs> know what I mean? Yeah. I don't love, don't like it at all pulling into a gas station and all the pumps are occupied. I don't like to wait more than two seconds for the web page to download. That's way too long. So let me give you a pop quiz. I want to walk you, to, uh, walk you through two stories, right? two scenarios. Tell me how you're going to respond. Here's the first one. You're at the grocery store. You have like three or four items, and you go through the, you're heading for the express line, right? Ten items or less. And someone shoots right there in front of you, and they have about 20 items. And then they start talking to the clerk who wanders by. How do you feel? What do you think? Think about how you would respond. Let me walk you through some responses. A, you're happy. I mean, they they have to be the best of friends. They haven't seen one another in a year, so you're happy for them. B, you think of things you'd like to say to them, like invite them to the Christmas Eve service. (laughs) C, you break up their party with some rude behavior. I'm in a hurry. Let's get going. Let's get moving. Or D, wait your turn. Second scenario. You've been sitting at the waiting room in the doctor's office, maybe the dentist's office, for an hour. How do you respond? (laughs) A, you're grateful for the chance to reread the 1992 Reader's Digest again for the first time in 30 years. Yeah, you've been waiting for that. B, tell the other patients you have COVID (laughs) and empty the waiting room. C, force yourself to hyperventilate. That works in the doctor's office (laughs) to get medical attention. Or D, wait your turn. Now, these, these are casual forms of waiting, but we know what they're like. We laugh, right? We put up with it. However, there's, there's more serious, more difficult forms of waiting in our lives. There's a waiting of a single person to see, if, to see if God has marriage in store for her or him. There's a waiting of a childless couple who, who want to start a family and they pray and month after month, uh, their, their prayers seem to go unanswered. There's a waiting of someone who, who longs for work. That, that not just, you know, pays well, but, but they enjoy, right? It's meaningful to them, but it doesn't happen. Maybe there's a spouse in a hurting marriage, and the, the, they want things to change, but it doesn't seem it's, it's ever going to change. It's, it's been said that waiting, waiting is our destiny. When we turn to the Bible, God himself, God he's, who's all-powerful, he's all-wise, he's all-loving, he assures us over and over that we need to wait. And our scripture reading today is from Psalm 37. Psalm 37, a Psalm of David. I'm just going to read the first seven verses. Um, Maybe maybe this afternoon, today, this week. uh, Read through it. 
right? Read through the entire psalm, see what it has to say. But in Psalm 37, verse 1, David says this, Do not fret because of evil men, or be envious of those who do wrong, for like the grass they will soon wither, like green plants they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways when they carry out their wicked schemes. Wow. This, this Psalm of David deals with our worries when we see evil prosper, right? It, it seems there's no accounting for the wicked. They just, they, they, they do what they want when they want to and when they want to and it, no one holds them to account. But we're told here that we need to, to, lie, to delight, to trust, to commit our way to the Lord. And then in verse 7 it says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Wait patiently. And then later in verse 9, it says, If we keep to his ways, he will exalt us to inherit the land. But no one wants to wait, especially a, a good long wait. The Lord God comes to a man named Abraham, Abraham and his wife Sarah. Abraham is 75 years old, and they haven't had any children. And God says, Abraham, you're going to have a son, and you're going to be the father of a great nation. But it's not going to happen today. It's not going to happen tomorrow. You know how long it was before that promise came true? 24 years. Can you imagine being 75 and being told you're going to have a a child and then waiting 24 years? That's how long Sarah and Abraham waited. God told Israel, his people, that, that they would become a great nation. But they were enslaved in Egypt and had to wait for 400 years. God told Moses he would lead the people to the promised land, but they had to go through the wilderness for 40 years. God's people waited. And so generation after generation, they waited for the Messiah to come, the one who would redeem God's people. And century after century, God seemed silent. And then, strangest of all, when he came, when Jesus came... Only a few people recognized him. He, he wasn't what they all thought he was going to be, what they were waiting for. In fact, he was only recognized by those who were, who were really, truly waiting on him. So in Luke chapter 2, it tells us about two people. They recognized the Messiah as, as a baby. And the first is a man named Simeon. These are passages we often hear at Christmas. Luke 2.25 Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout. He was waiting. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Simeon says, God, my waiting's over. Now you can take me home. 
Now you can take me. Verse 36. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them, that's coming up to Mary and Joseph who had the baby Jesus. At that moment she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. Year after year, decade after decade, this amazing woman, a prophet of God, never left the temple, but she worshipped fasting day and night. And she saw the baby, and she began to praise God. She began to talk about this child, all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. And it's, and it's the same word. It's the same word. Simeon was waiting. And then we have a group at the temple who were looking forward. It's the same word in the Greek. People were waiting. So the Messiah comes. Jesus arrives and he lives and he teaches and he travels around. And his disciples got excited because they thought he was going to restore God's kingdom to the earth. He was going to kick out the Romans. He was going to right all the wrongs. Right all the wrongs in society. But Jesus was crucified. And their hopes were dashed, but he rose. In the book of Acts chapter 1, Jesus is getting ready to ascend into heaven. And so they ask him, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Right? Are you going to restore the kingdom? Is our waiting over? And what did Jesus do? He rose, he ascended into heaven. He rose into heaven and they didn't, they didn't seem like that again. But Jesus had one more command. He basically told them at the beginning of the chapter, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait, wait. And the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. But that doesn't mean the time of waiting is over. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 8 that we ourselves, this is us, right? who have the first fruits of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, grown inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. We wait and we wait. Over 40 times in the Old Testament, the people are commanded to wait. And in the New Testament, it's the same thing. If you have a, if you have a Bible concordance or if you know how to look it up online, look up the word wait and see what it says we're to wait for. But this runs all the way through the Bible. In fact, the very end, the last words. The last chapter, the last words of the book of Revelation. John says, He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. Just like the saints in the Old Testament waited, we're waiting. And then John writes, Amen, even so, come Lord Jesus. But it's been a long time. It's been a long time. All right. We'll hang on. We'll hang in there like the generations of faithful believers before us. But come on. We're waiting. So the obvious question is, why? Why does God make us wait? If, if he's all powerful, and, and he is. And if he loves us, and he does, why do we have to wait? 
I believe, in part, what's going on is this. What God does in us while we wait, what God does in us while we wait, is often as important as what we are waiting for. Let me say that. What God does in us while we wait is often as important as what we are waiting for. Or look at it another way. We, we have a destination. What's our destination? It's, it's heaven. It's heaven. But what happens to us along the way, that the journey we're on to go to heaven, the choices we make, the changes in our lives, good and bad, they mold us into the people God wants us to be. In, in stories, movies, there's a, there, there's a theme like this, uh, a storyline where, you know, someone or, or a group, they're, they're on a journey, right? They're, they're trying to get somewhere and accomplish something. But you realize during the journey, all the trials, all the problems they face change them. And then when they get to the end, they realize that it's not always the destination, it's the journey. And in a sense, that's what we're saying. Paul says, while we're waiting for God to set everything right, we suffer. Romans 5. But he goes on to say that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. God is producing these qualities within us as his people. And one of these is character. And that's who we are. So, biblically, waiting is not just something we we have to tolerate or put up with. Waiting is part of the process of becoming the people that God wants us to be. So in the time time that's left, I want to talk about what it means to wait on the Lord. And I want to take a moment to say what, what biblical waiting is not. Biblical waiting is not passively sitting around waiting for, for someone or something to come along that'll get you out of your troubles. People sometimes say, I'm just waiting on God. I'm just waiting on the Lord. Well, don't use that, that as an excuse not to face up to reality. Don't use that as an excuse not to take action or own up to the responsibility, the things you need to do. That's not what waiting on the Lord is all about. I've heard of people with with bad finances. They have horrible spending and and, and saving habits. They're impulsive. They they don't save money. Not not judging people, but, you know, love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, but it it helps us in life to have some. And, And they're in a mess. Their finances are in a mess. And they might say, like, you know, they might be thinking, I'm I'm waiting on God to provide. That's not biblical waiting. It doesn't mean sitting around waiting on a, you know, a note from the bank saying, there's, there's been an error in your favor, you're going to get $1,000. Doesn't just mean you know, waiting on some agency or, or, or the government to, to, to bail us out all the time, right? Waiting on the Lord probably means dragging yourself to, to a seminar or, or learning, learning somehow. Biblical principles for stewardship. Biblical waiting is not passive. It's not just a way to escape our our reality that we're in. So waiting on the Lord. It's it's a confident, disciplined, expectant, active, sometimes painful clinging to God. 
Yeah. Confident, disciplined, expectant, active, sometimes painful, clinging to God. It's the daily decision, daily decision every day to say, God, I'm trusting in you. I'm trusting you. And my life circumstances may not be what I want. It's, it's not turning out the way I want. And I may not be sure it's going to go that way. But I'm betting everything on you. And there's no plan B. There's no other plan. That's waiting on the Lord. And it's, it's not easy, is it? But we're not throwing in the towel. It's the hardest kind of hope. There are three requirements to waiting on the Lord. And the first of these is waiting on the Lord requires patient trust. Will I trust, will I trust God that he has reasons for me to wait? I, I don't know what they are, right? I myself, I don't know what they are, but I trust that God knows what he's doing. And I have to remember that, that things look different to God than they do to me. He sees things from the perspective of eternity. Christmas is a time of waiting. Well, I don't want to jump the gun, but the trees and the decorations start going up. Presents start to be put out. The kids can't wait to open them. And I was one of the bad ones. I would wake up around 5 o'clock and start making noises and wake up my little brother and tell him to go and wake up mom and dad. But then they had to make their coffee and they made us wait while they drank it. I was lucky my kids wouldn't, wouldn't get up until about 7 Think about the second coming of Jesus. This is, this is something that Peter writes about. The Apostle Peter, he says, Do not ignore this, this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Why is God waiting? He, he doesn't want people to perish. He wants people to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. God has a different perspective. Um, a banker read this passage and he was quite astounded by it. He started talking to God. Lord, is it, is it true that a, a thousand years are like a day to you? And God said, Yeah. Well, then uh, a million dollars must be like a, a penny to you. And God said, yeah. So this, this banker said, well, Lord, give me one of those pennies. The Lord said, all right, wait one minute. <laughs> we, we want God's resources, but we don't want his timing, do we? We want the penny, but not the minute. We want his miracles, but we don't want his calendar. We forget that his work in us while we wait is just as important as, as what we're waiting for. And waiting means I, I have to trust that God knows what he's doing. Maybe you're single. We live in a society, right, where people assume marriage is normal, but, you know, marriage and singleness are gifts from God. We, we need to find contentment where we're at. But you can, have, you can have these desires. Maybe you have a legitimate longing for a relationship, and waiting's hard. 
And maybe there's a relationship at your fingertips that promises, you know, to, to fulfill that. But maybe you also realize this relationship would not be honoring to God. This, this wouldn't be the right person for you to, to be with. They don't share your commitment. Maybe they're putting pressures on you for a physical relationship. But because of the pain, you, you might think, I've, I've, I've waited long enough, right? I've waited long enough, and I'm going to reach out for whatever satisfaction I can get. There's lots of situations like that. So I'm going to ask you, can, if, if you're in a situation where you're getting tired of waiting, can, can you continue to wait upon the Lord and think about what He's trying to do in your life? Will you courageously say, Okay, God, I'll take you at His word. I, I, won't, I won't go forward. I won't go on in a relationship or, or a, a work situation or, or anything else that would dishonor you. And, and damage me spiritually, hurt my soul. I want to build the best life where I am right now. We, we, we still don't know what tomorrow's going to hold, right? We don't know what tomorrow brings. And maybe you feel like nobody else understands, but you say, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to wait you, wait for you. Hopefully, if you are hurting about something, you, you can find someone, someone, family, friends in the church, right, who you can talk to. But can you do that? Maybe you have a dream about some things you want to accomplish in life, a mark you'd like to make, something about work or, or in church ministry. And for reasons you don't understand, they're, they're not happening. It's not happening. And you don't know why. It, it just bothers you. It hurts even. And you might be tempted to try and force things, to manipulate things. People, use people. Uh, maybe you're tempted to give up, throw in the towel, and go in the wrong direction. Maybe not realize the potential that God sees in you and just drift along. We have patience not to force it, not to quit, but to wait and trust God. This last week I read a reading a beautiful picture of what it means to wait on God. A a theologian, a scholar, had made some friends with uh, some trapeze artists, right? Remember the old circus? Trapeze artists flying through the air up high. And one thing they told him is that there's a very special relationship between the flyer and the catcher. And the flyer's the one that lets go, right? And they fly, and the catcher just holds on, and they catch the person. And this is an important relationship, especially to the flyer. (laughs) And when the flyer is swinging high above the crowd on the trapeze, the moment comes when they let go. It it takes perfect timing. But that flyer just, right, floats, floats through the air in an arc. They've practiced this countless times. But their job is to remain as still as possible. They just have to stay absolutely still. Because they're waiting for the catcher to reach out their strong hands and catch them. And the artist said, they said, the flyer must never try to catch the catcher. If the flyer tries to start grabbing or moving around, there's a good chance the catcher's going to miss. The catcher always catches, 
but the flyer has to wait. Some of you feel like that flyer. You're in a vulnerable moment. You've let go. You, you've let go. You feel like you're hanging. And you can't feel God's hands catching you yet. And then you start flailing around. We, we start doing things. But we need to wait in absolute trust. We need to be patient. That's what God requires. Patient trust. The second thing we need is this. Waiting on the Lord requires confident humility. I want to I describe this by speaking of two qualities of confidence and quietness. <coughs> confidence is a conviction that God is able to do something. It, it looks to the future, right? That's, that's why hope is often involved here. We, we often hear these words, perseverance and patience. We can wait. We can persevere. We, we need to be patient because we have confidence God is in control. He's bringing about His will. I love it. I love it at the end of the book of James. We already heard it today. James says, Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. There's, there's that coming, coming of Jesus again. And waiting in the Lord's coming, both Old and New Testaments, they, they go together. Then a little bit later, James says this. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. We can have confidence, but oddly, uh, along with confidence is, is quietness, humility. And this is, this is the opposite of arrogance and boasting. It's the recognition of my limits and, and my understanding and understanding I'm, I'm not in control. I need to do everything I can, but, but God's in control. And waiting by its nature is something only the humble can do, or at least only the humble can do it with grace. To, rec- to wait for something is to recognize that I'm, I'm not in control. I'm not calling the shots, and it's not up to me. In our society, there's a, a direct correlation between status and waiting. If you're a big shot, you can make people wait on you, can't you? Right? But waiting reminds me I'm not in charge. I'm the creature. God's in charge. But we're not just waiting around. We're waiting on God. And God is doing something And he's also doing something in us. So we can trust his wisdom. We can trust his timing. We can wait with confidence and patience. We have to realize the most important activity for God's people while we wait is prayer. Prayer is is the primary form that waiting on God takes. It's prayer that allows us creatures, us, us humble human beings, to wait And to deal with the worry we have in our lives. My wife and I have four kids. And two of them have been having problems. There's been nights... 
where, where I can't sleep. And that's when my mind is troubled by all kinds of thoughts. What if? What if it doesn't work out? What if this doesn't happen? And we have those frantic voices of, of fear and worry and doubt. And we know bad things can happen in life. And I think, I think in Mark chapter 4, Jesus, Jesus is in the boat. There's a storm. And his followers, his disciples, become frantic and they panic. The, boat, the boat's going to sink. You remember what Jesus is doing in this story? He's sleeping. The disciples wake him up and he says to the storm, pipe down. Right? Stop. And everything becomes calm. And this story strikes me as an example of, of one aspect of our life that, that God doesn't experience. Because Jesus, Jesus experienced nearly every human emotion, right? Sorrow, pain, tiredness, fatigue, anger. But he, he was never frantic. And my wife and I, we... We've had days where we, we don't know what, what's, what's going to happen. But we trust in God. We wait. And we're still waiting. We think back when the kids were little. And we were always frantic, running them around and doing things. <laughs> wondering how their lives would turn out when they were starting school and starting high school and graduating. But you know, Jesus was never like this. He needs to be our model. And when you want to be in a hurry and get things done, that's irritating. <laughs> But Jesus was never, never in a hurry. Last and quickly, it's important for us to learn to recognize God's voice. How, how do you recognize someone's voice? You hear it over and over. You pick up the phone. You talk to him face to face. It's only by experience. You know the tone, the pitch, you know the inflection. We can teach ourselves to hear God's voice and not the clamor of the world around us. How do we hear God's voice? It's easy. We watch TV, play the radio, scroll through our phones, Xbox, busy schedules, listening to Elvis' greatest hits. What's wrong with the last one? But no, it's by practicing spiritual disciplines, like prayer, Bible study, meditation before God, Fasting and fasting and service. There's, there's a big difference between the two. We live in a world where, where voices are calling our attention, right? They're clamoring for our attention. They, they, they want us. And our, our busy lives can cause us to, to let go of listening to God because we, we, we don't have time anymore. But we have to make the time. And he'll come through loud and clear. And we have to know that God's voice is never frantic. When we, have, when we have those desperate thoughts, when we have panicky thoughts, that's not God's voice. That's not God. He'll never lead us into panicky desperation. When we go there, when our minds go there, it's not the voice of God speaking to us. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. It's the voice of the shepherd who cares for the sheep. Always, he always cares for us. But we need to learn to listen, as we just said, and not give in to these worries and 
this, this anxiety. Here's a, here's a true story. A Native American, an American Indian, was, was in New York City one day walking with a friend who lived there. And, and the, the American Indian said, I, I hear a cricket. And their friend said, no way. No, no way. You're crazy. He said, no, I hear a cricket, I'm sure. And his friend said, look, look at all the traffic, right? People talking, horns honking, brakes squealing, cars going up and down the street. You, you, there's no way. And he said, I'm sure I do. And he looked around and he found a cement planter with a shrub in it. And he looked a little bit and he, he found a cricket. And his friend couldn't believe it. He was astonished. But this, this person said, they're Cherokee. He said, my ears, my ears aren't any better than yours. They're not any different. It depends upon what you're listening for. And they reached in their pocket and pulled out some change and dropped it. Every head turned and looked for the money. Yeah. It all depends upon what you're listening for. Waiting on the Lord, it's, it's, it's not easy. But there's a, a lot more to it than we think. We do need patient trust. We need confident humility. We need, to, we need to practice so we can hear God's voice. But we have to keep in mind that what God is doing in us while we wait, not, not just the good things, but also the bad things. They, they shape us too. What God's doing in us while we wait is as is, is important as what we're waiting for. It's, it's molding us into being the people that God wants us to be. And the one we're waiting for, Jesus Christ, he's worth the wait. He's worth the wait. Let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, thank you for your great love. Thank you for your word, the Bible. Your Holy Spirit, your church. We just pray that as we go through our lives, that we can learn to wait on you, knowing that you're working, you're working within us. We're never left hanging. That when those, those frantic voices speak to us, we, we can learn to ignore them, but trust in you, knowing that, again, you have a purpose and a plan, and you're fulfilling your will. Let us be faithful as we look forward to seeing you and your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.